Oh, I just love that video. I watched it at least 10 times preparing for this just because it was a good laugh. And if you're like me, you might have recognized some of that from children, either your own children or children you've worked with. I know I, uh, my daughter yesterday, we were shopping at Walmart, and she said, I was buying some makeup, and she goes, Mommy, I want to do your makeup for Sunday tomorrow. And the first thing I thought was the picture of the girls up there, and I was like, yeah, no, honey, no, we're not going to do that. So instead, I let her do my hair that night, and it was, I looked like a drowned rat with horns sticking up in all different directions, but she had a blast. <laughs> And I realized that anyone who works with children, whether they're yours or someone else's, but you get to fill that parent-like role in their life, we have to deal with a lot. And everyone I talk to loves to talk about how much children are a joy and a blessing, and they are, but they are also exhausting. And I think, honestly, if we were left to our own devices... Just on our own, most of us would give up and let someone else deal with the chaos. However, and luckily for us and our children, we are not left on our own. You see, the Hebrew scripture, they have this word that they use for a mother's womb, and it's rechem. And it really is talking about that chemical bond that naturally occurs between a mother and her unborn child. And this bond is this nurture and this care that a mother feels before she's ever even met her little one. And this imagery is wrapped up in this Hebrew word that we most often translate as womb. But the beautiful thing about the Hebrew language is that if you change just a couple of vowels, which are those little dots and dashes on there, you can get a completely different meaning while the root stays the same. And the best way to describe this using the English language, and it's tricky because our language is completely different, is kind of comparing child and childish, right? You hear the word child, you think of a young person. But you hear childish, you just add that suffix right there at the end, and it completely changes it to make you think of something or someone that is maybe immature for the present situation. And so the Hebrew writers, as they're working through adding these vowels to this word, they took the root core that bonds a mother and a child and uses it to depict this understanding of compassion. And this word is rachim, right? Not a lot of difference. And the very thing that bonds a mother to a child, that motherly love that we so much need in order to not go crazy from all of the stuff our kids put us through, is rooted in the very nature of God, because God is compassion. And it's with this understanding of how Scripture understands compassion that I want us to turn in our passage for today in the Gospel of Luke. Now, just before we get into the story of Luke chapter 7, we see Jesus in Capernaum performing miracles and being followed by a large crowd of people. And the text immediately cuts to the story we're going to read. And most scholars believe that this happens back to back, like there's maybe two days in between the time where he's in Capernaum and the time he's in the city called Nain. And you can see up there on the map just how far apart they are. They're about 21 miles, which is about here to Turkey. And Jesus doesn't have the luxury of cars and paved roads. He walks this distance. It takes about a day, a day and a half of straight walking to be able to make this journey. And if you notice, it's not nice, easy terrain. There's mountains, there's hills, there's a giant water. It's not an easy journey. And it's this journey that Jesus has just made. He is just arriving to the scene of this, he's just arriving to the city 
when we get to this text. And I don't know about you, but if I walk three or four miles, I'm pretty tired, right? I'm sweaty, I'm done, and I get the beauty of sidewalks and paved roads. So just imagine just how tired, dirty, sore, hungry Jesus and these other disciples in the crowd probably are at the start of the story. And so we're in Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. And I'm using a slightly different version, so if you don't, if it doesn't make sense, I did put the version I'm using up on the screen. You can follow along up there. Again, Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 11. A little later, Jesus went to a city called Nain. His disciples and a great crowd traveled with him. As he approached the city gate, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was with her. When he saw her, the Lord had compassion for her and said, Don't cry. He stepped forward and touched the stretcher on which the dead man was being carried. Those carrying him stood still. Jesus said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Awestruck, everyone praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding region. This is the word of God for the people of God. So this tired, sore, dirty Jesus arrives at Nain, probably just seeking rest from his long journey. Instead, he arrives to witness a funeral procession. And at the heart of this is a woman who has no other sons and whose husband has already died. Now for us, we would be thinking, wow, how tragic. And we would understand why Jesus would have compassion for her. But this is so much more than just her feeling lost because she's lost a loved one. You see, in the culture of the time, to be a widow without any sons meant you had lost all of your security. You didn't have a job. You didn't have money. You didn't have property. There was nothing to support you now that the men were gone. The only options left was for her to either hope another family member would take her in, to remarry, although it was unlikely since she was old enough to have adult sons, or to sit and beg and hope someone would throw a coin or a scrap of bread her way sometimes. So not only was this woman suffering loss and grief, but she was also desperate and hopeless. As she weeps for what she has lost, she also worries about what she's going to continue to lose in the days to come. And it is in this reality, this hopelessness, that Jesus and his disciples and a huge crowd show up. Now, no one would have really blamed Jesus if he had simply passed her by and continued to wherever he was going. This was just a way of life. This is what happened when sons died. No one would have even blinked an eye if he hadn't stopped. But Jesus does the unexpected. He sees this scene and he feels compassion for the woman. Another translation says his heart goes out to her. And he says the words I'm sure everyone wants to hear when they're in a hopeless situation, right? Don't cry. As I read this passage, this phrase tripped me up a little bit. Now imagine this scene from the mother's perspective, right? She is at her lowest. She is grieving. She is lost. She is hurting. And this man with a ton of other people she doesn't know, 
shows up in her grief and just looks at her and says, don't cry. If it was me, I would probably be a little annoyed. Have you ever been really, really angry and upset and someone just looks at you and says, calm down, right? That makes you more frustrated when that happens. It doesn't really help the situation. And so when I saw Jesus say that, it it bothered me for a minute. But that's why it's so important that we move on and read the rest of his story. Because Jesus doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, don't cry, you know, offer words of comfort and move on. He acts. He takes a step forward. He acts on his compassion. He reaches out and touches the stretcher that the man is laying on. Understandably, everything just sort of freezes in that moment. It's as if everybody just stops and takes a deep breath and holds it, wondering what's going to happen next. Now, the people who were with Jesus are probably getting kind of excited. They had just been with him in Capernaum. They had seen him heal a man by just saying a word, and they had been hearing and seeing tons of other miracles, and they want to know, what is Jesus going to do next? But for the funeral crowd, it's a different kind of pause. For one, a good Jewish man would have never touched a corpse. That would have made him unclean. It was taboo. It didn't happen. And so they're looking at him going, what kind of man is this who shows up, no one knows who he is, and touches the mat that a dead man is laying on? And so in this moment of confusion and fear and uncertainty, everything pauses. Everything's silent. Everybody waits to see what Jesus is going to do. And in that brief silence, Jesus reaches out, touches the stretcher, and says, get up. And immediately the man gets up and just starts talking. And Jesus doesn't say anything else. He just helps the man down, hands him to his mother, and goes on his way. The story doesn't say what Jesus did, but I'd imagine he finally decided to go get that rest, that peace, maybe eat a little food, get some water, and go wherever he was already headed for that day. But for everyone who had witnessed this amazing act of compassion, their lives were forever changed. Immediately they went wherever people would listen to them and spread the good news that God was there. God had come to help save his people. This one act of compassion, this one moment where Jesus put this woman's needs above his own, had the ripple effect that it changed all of Judea and the surrounding areas forever. And Jesus hadn't even gotten to his main act of compassion, the one we most think of, the cross and the empty grave, the act of compassion that would change the world forever. And this ripple effect of compassion is still moving and changing our world today. So I want to look at two key roles in this story, the one of the crowds and the one of Jesus. Because we are all being called to be compassionate to the world around us. And we can either choose to be like the crowd or to choose to be like Christ. When Jesus sees this woman, his heart immediately hurts for her. He instantly feels compassion for her and the hopelessness and brokenness that she feels. His reaction is to reject all of his own needs and discomfort in order to help her. And he does two things that we need to take special care to focus on. And these two things are identified by the two phrases Jesus says in the story. Don't cry and get up. Jesus' compassion is best understood in two parts. First, 
Jesus acknowledges her pain. He realizes the emotions she is feeling and the helplessness of her situation. He meets her exactly where she is and reaches into that situation and calls her out of it. And secondly, he acts. It's not just enough for him to acknowledge her situation. It'd be like if you saw your child hungry and they're saying, Mom, Dad, please, can I have some food? And you're like, I'll pray that someone brings you food. Right? It's a nice idea, but it's not helping satisfy the hunger of the child. So too, Jesus doesn't just end with, don't cry. He doesn't just offer that word of comfort. He steps in. He acts. He reaches out his hand and meets her emotional and physical needs by raising her son to life. With a simple command to get up, he changes both the man and his woman's and the mother's life and brings hope to a hopeless situation. Now on the other side is the crowds. They didn't necessarily do anything wrong, but they didn't do anything at all. They arrive in the town just as tired, sore, and dirty as Jesus, and they plan to just continue on their way. They see the woman crying, stuck in a hopeless situation, and they just keep going, eager to continue following Jesus to see what he's going to do next, missing the point of everything he's been teaching so far. Then Jesus stops, and they all become spectators to this show of compassion. No one else steps forward with Jesus. No one else speaks words of comfort to the hopeless widow. No one else does anything but watch. And so the question becomes, which one are you going to be? Both the crowd, which included Jesus' disciples, and Jesus were dealing with the same situation of tiredness and dirtiness, and yet both had very different responses. And we too are faced with opportunities to show compassion every day. And it doesn't matter how uncomfortable, tired, hurting we may be, we still have the opportunity to choose whose example we're going to follow. As we're going, are we going to be like the crowd, watching and waiting for someone else to come and do something amazing to change the brokenness and helplessness all around us? Cheering when we hear stories of other people helping others in true acts of compassion, but never stepping out of our own comfort zone to join them? Or are we going to follow Jesus' example to meet people where they are at, speak life and hope into their brokenness, treat them with love and compassion and do everything in our power to help lift them out of their struggles and offer the hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. It is 100% your choice which path you're going to choose. The story doesn't say anything negative about the crowd. Jesus doesn't rebuke them for simply watching. However, they're not really remembered at all. Their choice has no lasting effect on anything. And if you don't read the story carefully, you might even forget that they were even there. And we can choose this path. We can be spectators, just watching and seeing what Jesus is doing through those around us. Or we can choose the path that's going to send a ripple effect throughout our families, our friends, our community, our state, our country, and even our world for generations to come. You can show Christ's compassion to those around us, and we can be Christ's witnesses of love and hope to a broken and hurting world. The choice is yours, and the choice is mine. The crowd or the Christ. Now, as I was actually taking a break from writing this sermon, these thoughts of what it means to be compassionate still running through my head, I happened across an old interview of the brother of Rachel Scott, 
who was one of the victims of the Columbine shooting. He was talking about everything that had happened as a result of the life Rachel had lived. She had been known for showing compassion, reaching out and caring for those who others pushed to the side or made fun of. And she had this quote that she wrote in one of her class assignments. It said, I have this theory that if one person can go out of their way to show compassion, then it will start a chain reaction of the same. People will never know how far a little kindness can go. And Rachel's story inspired the organization called Rachel's Challenge that goes into schools all over the country and even into other parts of the world to teach children and teens to be compassionate and to love those around them in an effort to reduce violence and self-loathing. Her one act of being kind to just some other students has changed the schools around our world. But even this amazing chain reaction of compassion and kindness is nothing compared to the first act of compassion that Jesus showed when he decided to come down as a baby, live among us, die for us, and then raise, be raised back to life. This one act of compassion, this love that can only be understood before Christ came as the love of a mother for her unborn child, has started a chain reaction that has reached far beyond anything any human could ever have imagined or fathomed. And so as we close, I want us to take a moment and imagine how we can join this ripple effect that started with Christ and spread through Christians all over the globe. So I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit differently. For those of you who got a bulletin and have the sermon notes in front of you, you're going to notice at the bottom that there are three stick figures. And we're going to use, go through this exercise. I want you to fill in the questions of who and how. And I'll, you'll understand in a moment exactly how to do that. But if you didn't have the sermon notes, you can still participate with us. And I really hope that you will. So I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to picture the person you love the most. Maybe someone you consider like your child or your mother, even if it's not someone you're biologically related to, or another family member or friend that you just care so deeply about. And as you look at their image in your mind, ask yourself, how can I show Christ's compassion to them? Maybe it's spending more time with them. Maybe it's checking in and seeing how they're doing. Maybe it's fixing them a meal when you know they are just so overwhelmed and busy with what's going on in their life. But answer to yourself, and I'll give you a moment to write those for those of you who have the notes, one practical way that you can show Christ's compassion to that person. Now I want you to close your eyes again, or keep them closed if you did, but please don't fall asleep, I promise. We're, we're getting close to the end, and we'll get you off to your Nazarene naps very soon. But don't, don't fade on me just yet. Just a few more minutes, please. With your eyes closed, picture that person you see every day, but don't really think much about. Maybe it's the person who bags your groceries. Maybe it's the receptionist at your child's school. Maybe it's the waitress at the restaurant you're going to be going to when you leave here today. This person will be different for each of you, but think of someone who you interact with a lot, but you don't really know much about them. When you have their face, or maybe you can't even picture their face, but you can think of where you see them at, ask yourself this question again. How can I show Christ's compassion to them? 
Maybe it's as simple as asking them how they're doing and actually caring about the answer. Maybe it's being a little more patient when you have to wait because they're having a slow day. Maybe it's bigger and you find out that they're really struggling with something and you can come alongside them and help them through that situation. There are so many ways we can be Christ to the people around us. People who may, you know, may not even realize are seeing your actions and who you're being a witness to. So answer quietly to yourself again just one way you can show Christ's compassion to the strangers in your life. Finally, again with your eyes closed, this one's probably going to be the hardest. Picture the person you just cannot stand. The one that if you saw them walk into the sanctuary right now, you'd divert your eyes or, or make sure the seat next to you was covered so they couldn't sit next to you or maybe even leave the room because you just don't think you could be in the same room as them and have a friendly conversation. Think of that person that just bugs you. doesn't matter why, but it just they frustrate you. And I'm going to ask you to, the tough question. How can you show Christ's compassion to that person? I know when I think about this question for myself, I just want to skim over it, say there's no one like that in my life, or ignore the question altogether. But I want us to take this question seriously. There are people in all of our lives that if given the choice, we would choose to ignore or avoid to the best of our ability. And we don't want to think about the sacrifices we would have to make or the discomfort we would have to feel in order to show compassion to those people. However, Jesus came down to a broken and hurting world to live among the very people who had rejected God time and time again, despite God saving them over and over. The same people who would once again turn away and shout, crucify him, and mock him and beat him in order to show us who, what true compassion is. And all he asks of us is to go show that same compassion to everyone we come in contact with. So as we leave this place today, I challenge you to intentionally treat the next person you interact with and the person after that and the person after that and even the one after that with the same love a mother has for her unborn child, the same love God showed when he made creation and the same love that Jesus embodied when he gave up everything for you and for me. Go and be Christ's compassion to the world around you and happy Mother's Day. You're dismissed.